The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. All right, we're going to look at Colossians 1, verses 15 to 23 this morning. Uh, I'm hoping that what comes out of this is a sermon or a meditation, maybe uh, between the sermon devotional meditation line of things, um, to help us kind of calibrate ourselves in Jesus during, it just seems like, uh, crazy times right now. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read our passage, we're going to pray, and then we're going to start looking at this together. So if you have a Bible, join, a, join me in Colossians uh, chapter 1, basically the second half of Colossians 1, verses 15 to 23. I'm going to read this for us. He, this is referring to Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he, uh, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself. All things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you have continued in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So let's pray together. Uh, Father, as we look at these words together, as we consider your word to us, I pray that we would see you behind this very page, speaking them to us, to see your face in Jesus Christ, and to find our hearts stabilized, and to find our hearts filled with hope, and amidst the turmoil and the, the sway of the world around us, that we would find our anchor in Jesus Christ himself. And so we pray that these big words would fill our little hearts um, with much of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I am tempted to begin the sermon by reviewing everything that has gone on in 2020 up to this point. Uh, I know that some of you... Um, it's hard to imagine that merely uh, back in January, Prince Harry and Meghan Merkel announced that they were stepping away from their duties um, in the royal family. I know that's a shock that that was barely six months ago that that happened, or that back in the beginning of January, there was all these brush fires going on in Australia that were causing a massive amount of damage. Um, I know that it's hard to imagine that the beginning of the presidential cycle only began at the end, back in January with all the uh, Iowa caucuses that were as a debacle and everything like that, um, not to mention everything that then picked up uh, at the end of February and beginning of March with COVID-19 and all the pandemic dynamics um, and the beginning of all those things. I'm tempted to review all those in great detail, but I recognize that each of these things over the last six months affects each of us differently. Uh, we have, uh, for some of us, um, a great amount of anxiety attached to both the health concerns of the COVID-19 stuff going on 
and then a great, a great deal of anxiety and frustration related to the political side of those things. Um, we have everything that's been going on since George, Floyd, George Floyd's murder and all of the Black Lives Matter dynamics and everything with that. Uh, how do we lean into those issues and how do we understand um, just uh, the political ramifications of those things? Uh, we have a great many things going on with just those two big issues, right? And then in the midst of all that, we have lost our friend Bill and we have experienced a great amount of, of loss and each of those things depending on where you land in the spectrum of life and where you're at in season of life and what's going on impacts you differently and so frankly to go through and list out each one of those things um, may not be as helpful as I intended to be because simply uh, each of us are experiencing uh, a different type of turbulence and it's going to look different for each person so we're looking at right here in Colossians 1 is this big, what's called a confession of faith. It's this big hymn. If you were to look at it in the original Greek, you would see that it is very clearly like set up as a hymn, almost pulled directly out of the, a Greek hymn book. A uh, few uh, words changed to put Jesus in and make it all about him, and you would see that it is very clearly a big, massive, overarching structure. Like if you've ever seen a, ma a major house being built, or a major building being built, you see these gigantic steel beams. This is, so to speak, the steel beams of the Christian life. These are the, the superstructures, the foundations, and all the load-bearing uh, beams in the house. I am not a construction guy, so please forgive me if I'm getting it wrong. And then you get all the, the other things put on top of it, and this is, in a certain sense, going back to the basics, going back to what's at the heart and root of the Christian life, at the heart and root of the Bible, at the very center of the foundation of what it means to be a person in this world that God is pulling back the veil so to speak and saying here is the basics it is all about Jesus and we could look at this um, and kind of get like these major theological truths like oh Jesus created everything Jesus redeems everything Jesus is going to glorify everything we could do that uh, frankly when I was getting ready for the sermon I looked back and I cringed at my old sermons like way, way back in the beginning of the church plant and I, that's basically how I preached this passage, and I just kind of thought, man, like, there is some sterileness to that, that we need to kind of um, see how Paul intended this passage to be lived out and fleshed out and experienced by the church in Colossae during all the turbulence that they were experiencing, and that I hope that we see that building a bridge into our very experience of turbulence today. So, what we're going to do is, I just want to make, I want to make the main point of this passage a very clear and then we're just going to work through this passage and kind of dance around meditating and experiencing this passage together for what it means for our current dynamics. So, excuse me, main point of this passage, cling to Jesus for stability in a turbulent world. I know you're going to look at this passage and say, shouldn't there be something more, uh, more robust, a big, gigantic theological statement about what this passage is all about? Yep, you can go look at those theology books all about that stuff. Read John Calvin, Herman Bavinck, those guys top-notch, love them, but what we are trying to do is experience what this passage is intended to do, the effect, and the effect is that we cling to Jesus. We see this huge picture of who he is. What is he all about? Who is he? And we want to cling to him for stability in a turbulent world. So I frankly think about this passage on a weekly basis, and I hope that as we work through this passage, whatever the future holds for the rest of 2020, I mean, frankly, I would not be surprised um, if Godzilla, my brother just moved to San Francisco and I was like, bro, like, you know that like 
Godzilla destroyed San Fran in 2014. Uh, hashtag 2020. And just so you know, like I have no idea what 2020 holds. Godzilla may be around the corner. So uh, that being said, if he is, we still want this passage to have the effect on us to cling to Jesus for stability in a turbulent world. So we're going to pick up here in verses 15 to 17. And we're going to see this ma- massive reality that Jesus holds our turbulent world together. All right, verses 15 to 17. Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, the visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Again, in these small words, He's doing this. He was before all things. We are beginning to see this major um, pre-existent world of God and Trinitarian, uh, and God the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what life was like for God. And at the very root of it was God the Father loving God the Son, and we'll see in other passages and other places, and God the Holy Spirit uh, living in perfect love and perfect unity and perfect harmony and perfect joy. And in the wisdom of the Trinity, God the Son creates the world uh, and He creates the world to hold it together around and for His glory. Right. So when we read here uh, verses 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That's not saying that Jesus was the first thing that was created. He is the one for whom all things were created, right? When you have a, in the ancient world, uh, you had a son so that everything was created, that you had was given to him. It was all about a transference to the son. So this is saying, look, God created everything. Um, he is the image of God, and he is the one who inherits all of what God has. But the interesting thing here to notice is that he is the image of the invisible God. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, Visible and invisible, right? What is going on with this use of visible and invisible? Well, what we're seeing is that this is a created world which has, it fills all of our five senses. It has uh, a created existence, which means that we see and experience. It's created. We see it. It has a visible manifestation. In the midst of all that, there are invisible dynamics, and we could be left looking at this world and all of its visible realities and be wondering, who is, what's the, what are the invisible forces behind it? Well, those invisible forces behind it has a name, and he speaks to us and lives among us to show us what he is like. So we're left to kind of figure out, like, why does death happen, and where does war come from, and why does abuse and suffering happen, and where do diseases come from, and all these things. How does all of this mess that we can see and not see fit together behind it and at the reins of all of it is Jesus Christ himself? This verse is here to basically say, uh, what is, uh, who is at the helm of reality? Who is holding all this together? And it is saying, look, by him all things were created. All things is kind of like one of these throwaway passages in the Bible that you, you can't begin, you can list out everything, go through every article in Wikipedia, and you can just have the, the, the little footnote on everything um, for him, Jesus Christ. Right, so the Andromeda galaxy, the closest galaxy uh, to ours, that exists out there, 
as much for Jesus Christ as the pages on the Bible in front of you, as the air that you breathe right now, as all reality, it exists and it is for him and it is held up by him. The book of Hebrews begins with the statement that he upholds the universe by the power of his word. He says, speak and exist and it holds together and it is because he himself has his hand and keeping it all for his name. Now, verse 16 and 17. For by him all things are created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. And then he goes into this, this kind of list of things where the thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things are created through him and for him. Now, what is going on? Why does Paul mention these things? Well, at the church in Colossae, they had kind of what we expect or we kind of picking up with some type of angelic worship. They were worshiping angels. I'm not sure why, but they were worshiping angels. And Paul is basically saying, like, look, even those structures, whatever those unseen spiritual realities are, those things exist for Jesus, so don't lose focus. But there's also a sense, kind of a tinge within these, fray, these four dynamics, that it's almost like they're hostile forces that Paul is then reclaiming and saying, Jesus has got those under his grip too. There are these hostile spiritual forces, and I'm inclined to think that they are invisible spiritual power dynamics. Whatever they are... You know, it's, you go through, read through the commentaries, like, it's kind of like, uh, don't get too caught up on like, okay, well, there's the thrones, and what power do these guys have? Um, there's dominions, and what power do these guys have? Just don't get caught up on that. Whatever they are, <laughs> they're spiritual dynamics, they're unseen realities that are still, um, they're probably hostile to Jesus, but still under his control. And I bring those out to say, I think that when we look at the world around us and what's going on, the uncertainties that we experience at times are Jesus Christ himself coming into this world and shaking up um, the, the hold and claim that spiritual opposition has against his dominion. So, on this whole thing of Black Lives Matters, all those dynamics, I'm really not going to get into the political dynamics of those things, but any words that I say on this are going to be political in nature. That's just the reality of the world we live in. Frankly, I'm not surprised, nor am I offended, by the recent protests about the black experience in America. I want us to set the looting aside because, frankly, from all the news reports I'm seeing, uh, those are uh, Black Lives Matter protests going on, and then it ends up being a lot of white people that come in and kind of like take advantage of the situation or try to do their part. Not helpful. Um, or uh, you set aside the Black Lives, as an Black Lives Matter as an organization and whatever political concerns you have about that. I'm just speaking simply to the phrase and sentiment and reality that black lives do matter. Um, Jesus thinks that black lives matter matters. The experience of, of black Americans, it matters. And I think that what is going on in some of these dynamics is that the majority culture's um, enslavement um, or the way in which it is being used by spiritual opposition forces that would oppress some, we've looked at that in Ecclesiastes 4, is being shaken up. I think that Jesus is shaking out those dominions, whatever they are, the thrones and rulers or dominions or authorities that would seek to deny black Americans their God-given dignity and rights, that those things are being overthrown or being addressed or being confronted, however you want to frame that, by Jesus Christ himself. Jesus reveals the character of God for the oppressed over and over again through his life. And our posture, politics aside, towards those who are oppressed must match the drama of the Almighty and his care for those who are being oppressed. So when we look at the world around us and what's going on with those dynamics, 
we will look at these verses and say, Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, who himself cared for the oppressed and broken, the outcast and marginalized, regularly valued them and spoke words of affirmation about their dignity. He is, and by, for by him all things are created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all those things which would seek to oppress and enslave, however you fit into the world around you, white, black, brown, whatever, however those things, however those spiritual forces are seeking to keep you from experiencing the human flourishing that God designed for you and has redeemed for you in Jesus, Jesus himself is set against those things. And because we often get comfortable with those things, Jesus Christ offers himself, rather than whatever culture experience we have, as our stability. Jesus Christ, verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This old hymn, uh, give, uh, give me Jesus, what, I can't remember what it is off the top of my head, um, take the world from me and give me Jesus. Um, our holding on to Jesus does have a physical effect in the world and the things that we value and the way that we should engage the world around us. But whatever our temperament is that um, gets frustrated by whatever dynamics are going on in the culture, I think this passage holds out for us a more stable reality than trying to preserve whatever cultural experience we have. And I'm not saying this in any sense of a correction. Anybody in the church that I'm consciously thinking of, I'm just kind of, as best I can, responding to the world around us and saying, Jesus Christ cares about this. These are very uncertain things to try to figure out, and they're uncomfortable at times. But Jesus Christ is himself our hope and center as we work through and think about these things. Another thing that comes to mind is, what does it mean for Jesus to kind of like put on flesh, so to speak, to understand the heart of God in turbulent times, um, and how Jesus, I have to remember my point, holds together our turbulent world. I'm reminded of this moment in the life of Jesus in Luke 7. Uh, I don't have a slide for these verses, but you're just at uh, Luke 7, verses 11 to 17. Um, this is a moment where Jesus um, has just healed a centurion servant, and then he's coming up uh, into another town. And so we pick up in Luke 7, if you have a Bible, it's just verses 11 to 17. Soon after, he, that's Jesus, went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd formed uh, from the town was with her. And I just want to pause and say what this woman's experience was. We kind of read that and think, oh, that's sad. But you realize that at the time, this woman's experience was an absolute dark night of the soul chaos. No husband to provide for her, her only son, who which was to be basically um, her retirement plan um, and security and provision in this world, had just died. And so as she is walking out the casket of her son um, to be buried, this woman might as well just get in the grave herself. She is as good as dead. The, the, there's no family to take care of her. Her world has absolutely shattered. She is absolutely in chaos. She is, you could use the word, in a turbulent world. And so, we pick up here, And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. 
And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God had vis- has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. I am not bringing this up to say we are now going to see uh, the dead from our, our family and church raised from the grave right now. No, what we're looking at here is to see if these verses in Colossians give us a visible picture in Jesus Christ of the invisible God. That's what we're confessing and saying. That's what God did when He created all things by Jesus and then Jesus takes on flesh and lives among us to show us what God is like. These verses are a moment to see what God is like. And we see that in her turbulent world, what do we see? The Lord saw her. The Lord sees your experience of what the, whatever's going on in the world. However you're experiencing this, whatever's going on in your heart, the anxiety, the fear, the frustration, the anger, whatever those emotions are, the Lord sees those things and He has compassion. He responds with compassion towards those who are living in grief and anger and confusion. He sees those experiences and His heart towards you is not frustration, it's not belittling, it's not get over it, it's not why are you so needy, it's not whatever those things are that would think of, make us think in a turbulent world, God must seriously just be frustrated with me. God looks at you and has compassion on the turbulence you experience inside, and then He speaks hope to you through His Word. Jesus speaks hope to this woman. He says, right, uh, don't weep, right? Why does He say don't weep? Because Jesus Christ Himself, God Himself, is near and with her. And then He acted for her good. Amidst all the COVID-19, Black Lives Matters, friends and family dying, all those things, we can feel a great amount of turbulence in our souls and in our hearts. And we need to remember, most importantly, at the foundation, the center point, the superstructures and load-bearing realities of this world, so to speak, that He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, all the things that we would experience as opposition and spiritual darkness in this world, all things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. We need to remember who He is, what He is like. We can often, with the things that we see in this world, get off kilter and frustrated and filled with anxiety, but at the end of the day, at the beginning of the day, and through the day, we must remember who Jesus is, He is the wisdom which holds the universe together and is most clearly to be recognized in His distinctive character as God's love and compassion for us. This is who Jesus is. He is God's heart for you in flesh, the Son of God, the second person in the Trinity, living in this world so that you can have stability amidst all the change that goes on around us. So we're going to kind of follow that line of logic. He dwells with us, right? He not only comes to us and upholds the world by His hand, He dwells with us. So pick up here in verse 18. Jesus dwells in our turbulent world with us, right? This is uh, sort of uh, the way of thinking about this. This is a certain sense of understanding how do we get made right with God, and it is not by us doing anything to get God's attention. God dwells amidst the mess of all that we are, dies for us, loves us and renews us in Jesus Christ. So let's look at these verses 18 to 20. And he is the head of the body, the church. 
He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Right? When we use this word head, he is the head of the church. What that means is that that's kind of like the source of governance, a source of governance within the church, right? Who is in charge of the church, right? Whether it's King's Cross Church or the global church, it is not Pastor Jacob. <laughs> and uh, all affection and love for our brothers across the world, um, Jesus Christ is himself the only head of the church. He is the one who governs the church. He is the ultimate judge and authority. And the body language is to communicate that there is an intimate connection with him. But before we kind of move past that, right, the, the interesting part about this is that there are, there are several kind of like ancient hymns about Zeus and pagan gods where they would talk about, frankly, um, the world is the body and Zeus is the head. But what's interesting here is that verse 18, and he is the head of the body. And you could think, okay, well, that makes sense. Jesus, instead of Zeus, is the head of the world. No, no, no. Actually, what this is being speaking to is he is the head of the body, and he clarifies it, the church. Right? Jesus is the ruler and king over the entire world. But he has a specific body. It is the church itself. It is you and me. It is, there is an intimate spiritual uh, organism dynamic that exists between Jesus and and the church. It is surprising to hear that Jesus is the head of the church and not merely just the whole creation because that means that he is then intimately connected not to the general world but a specific hot mess of people. <laughs> right? We are just a gigantic dumpster fire all the time. <laughs> Whatever it is, and Jesus says, that's my body. Right? <laughs> Whatever the church is, whether it's King's Cross or another church, I promise there's a dumpster fire somewhere going on in your church or it's a hot mess and it's just a whole big deal and Jesus says these are my peeps right these are the people that Jesus is connected to and it goes on to say um, he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead then everything he might be preeminent for in him the fullness of God was pleased to which pick up this word dwell he dwells in Jesus Christ right Jesus Christ is where the fullness of all the second person in the Trinity God himself dwelled which means God's infinite smile and judgment upon uh, infinite smile upon you and judgment upon sin both fully dwelled in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ dwells with us. Right? What's going on here is that yes, there is sin, but it is not simply sin that exists in our life. Right? There is a whole fracture in all of creation that has broken the relationship between God and man, God and men and women. Right? There is more going on here than just merely um, my sin against God. It is a whole reality that must be redeemed and renewed and restored in God's presence. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes with verses 21 and onward. But we see that Paul has spoken in big terms about creation, right? visible and invisible, and God, and God coming across that rift between us and Him, creation, all of its brokenness, and God Himself, to heal that rift, and that is Jesus Christ. The rift of creation's break with God, God's death in this world, power, and the powers opposed to God, and enslaving God's people, all of those are healed by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. Right? We, he brings newness of life. Do you see that here in verse 18? He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, 
that in everything he might be preeminent. Right? There's these two kind of qualifiers. What is it like for God, for Jesus to dwell with you? Well, it is to have a new and fresh beginning, both spiritually and ultimately. And it is to experience new life, a renewal of life, whether this day or the resurrection from the dead. Uh, this pattern, this Jesus dies and rises from the grave, this you might call it a J-curve, death and resurrection, right? we see this, that he is, that is Jesus' experience of giving grace to us and it is how we experience grace uh, in our lives with him. Right? Jesus dwells in a turbulent world with us and however you're experiencing death, the point in these verses is to say, do not fight the death that you need to experience. Right? We often don't like uh, inconveniences. We don't like um, having things taken away from us. We do not like um, having uh, death in our lives, whether it's the literal death of family or friends or it's the death of a dream. The experience of this is that we, uh, Martin Luther would call this the theology of the cross, is that it is in those moments of death, it is in those places of death, that Jesus dwells with us, and because he is with us, they are not taking anything away from us that he will not ultimately renew in us. I think, um, sorry, I'm talking, touching the microphone here. Um, for in him, verse 19, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, I wonder if what we experience sometimes in this uh, death of our hopes and dreams and the death of our expectations, the death of our comforts, we are experiencing more fully the uh, pleasure of God to dwell with us so as to make us fully pleased with Him alone. We are to be reconciled to Him. We are to experience Him and to enjoy Him. And whatever, he, whatever happens, whatever hopes and dreams and plans that literally die or figuratively die, we have Jesus Christ himself. I don't know what's going to happen the rest of 2020. <laughs> I mean, good grief, we did it too. Thankfully, when we did our 2020 sermon uh, at the beginning of the year, it wasn't anything extravagant or ridiculous or like, here's what God's going to do. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen the rest of the 2020. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man pops up around the horizon and walks over the city of Boston. <laughs> I mean, that wouldn't shock me at all at this point. Uh, I mean, aliens exist, great. Why don't they just show up 2020? I don't know what's going to happen. It seems like we're all getting shaken up, and even with this whole plan of getting back together uh, on Sunday mornings, <laughs> this is not my uh, hopes and dreams. But Jesus is still dwelling with us, and he's pleased to dwell with us, and there is something he's doing among us that only these things can accomplish. So whatever they are, whatever the rest of the year looks like, I think that it's helpful these things calibrate us because it helps us not get too caught up in the politics of everything that's going on around us or the drama of whatever's going on around us and say, okay, there is something that Jesus is doing and he's dwelling among us. He's dwelling in my life right now and there is something that he is doing so that my heart is fully satisfied with his dwelling with me because I couldn't earn it. Uh, frankly, I was alien and hostile in mind, which is what we're going to look at in verse 21. I was opposed to God dwelling with me, but he knew that he was the best thing for me. And so whatever's going on this year, whatever happens for the next six months, uh, it is all about, ultimately, helping me to experience God in a more deeper way 
Jesus Christ in a more redeeming way than I would have otherwise. So, that being said, we're kind of beginning to hint at the third point, so we're just going to jump right into it. Uh, verses 21 to 23, Jesus not only dwells in our turbulent world with us, Jesus reunites our world through turbulent times. Verse 21 to 23, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you have continued in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which had been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Right? You see, ultimately, the aim here is he is now reconciled in his body of flesh in order to present you holy and blameless. Right? The gospel is an extremely uh, dusty, it is extremely gritty, uh, non-hallmark movie reality. Right? It is a, mo- it is, uh, a reality that engages the microbes and the, the DNA and all of existence and says all of that will be washed through and renewed so they be presented before God and God will renew all things in a physical creation, right? All things, it is not just some sort of like, ah, we're going to die and we're going to upload our consciousnesses and get rid of these bodies. No, everything must be renewed to him, right? That's why I think he says there, verse 22, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. I just want to remind you, whenever you see these long phrases in the Bible, you have to remember um, the original uh, pen and paper that they would have used was extremely expensive, and so there was a very specific reason why they would put multiple words to describe um, Jesus died, right? We would just say, well, Jesus died. No, no. Verse 22, he has reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, which is to say, he took on the full weight of all the ways in which this world is broken and rejecting God, spiritually and physically, so that spiritually and physically we would be renewed, reunited with Jesus in our world. And so there is, in this ending verses, uh, this day and that day. And I cannot help but reflect on everything that we've experienced with Bill right now as we read these verses, right? I got a, I got a wasp going around here. Hopefully I, I don't get stung, but maybe it'll be God's judgment for me for saying something wrong if I do. <laughs> we see here in verse 22, He has renewed us, He has saved us in Jesus in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. Our brother Bill has now experienced, he has stepped ahead of us in line, so to speak, and experienced a sense of being presented before Jesus holy and blameless and above reproach than any of us experience right now. He's not resurrected yet, obviously, but he's ahead of us in experiencing those things. I read these, uh, I read these verses and I think about my job as a pastor. Uh, down at the end of, the ver- at, at the end of, end of Colossians 1, Paul has this line, which I, I regularly, almost on a daily basis, think of as my job description him, that's Jesus, we proclaim, verse 28, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Uh, the reality is that with Bill passing away and going to be with Jesus, my job with Bill is done. I, my friendship is, I, I, I miss him, um, but my aim, verse 28, is 
to have that day with all of you and whoever's a part of King's Cross, whoever comes to Jesus through King's Cross, my job is to work with all my might to present people mature in Christ, to be able to, in a certain sense, introduce people to their Jesus in that final day as an usher, um, mature in Him, presented to Him. I reflect on this with Bill because its route is that, that my job with him is done and my job with each one of you will be incomplete and it will be constantly aiming at this goal until we bury each other in the ground someday. Um, our aim is maturity in Christ. Our aim is not to be perfect in Christ. Our aim is not to be um, to have certain books read or to have certain things accomplished or to whatever have certain years um, uh, in the church or in our marriage under our belt. All of these things, the aim is maturity in Christ. And whatever your life looks like, whatever the dynamics of your life look like, right? Some of us come to the table with a lot of uh, things against us, whether it's our family background or mental stability or uh, physical handicaps, whatever those things are, those are the context of your maturity in Christ. And those are often turbulent things, right? When I get to know each of you, when I get to talk to you, there's often dynamics of a turbulence inside. There's something painful going on that Jesus Christ is seeing, like you saw with that widow in Luke 7. He knows and has compassion on, and our job together is to be reunited to find grace and healing in Jesus, whatever that turbulent situation is. So this COVID-19 stuff, I've, I think it is putting a certain pressure on each of us that we have to recognize is a part of the turbulence of our lives and maturing in Christ and seeing Him face to face. It is something that we must walk through with an aim for maturity. There, there is this present day, and then there is that presented day. And eat between those is a life where Jesus is changing us through the uncomfortable realities of whatever's going on to be mature in Him. Right? And so that's why we want to say at the end of this that the main point of this passage is to cling to Jesus because I, that is all we've got. He is the one that we are aiming towards seeing. He is the one who has set the superstructures of this world together. He is the one that this whole creation sings in a resounding praise. He is the one. And we may have all of these turbulence in us. We may have political impulses and perspectives on the current situation. Whatever those are, those all must sit in service to being to clinging to Jesus and being made to be more like Him, whatever the situation is. Care about whatever the issues are that are injustices going on around you. Black Lives Matter, care about that issue. Care about um, political rights. Care about deference for those who are feeling anxiety with the, with, the, with the pandemic. Care about those who are experiencing joblessness. These are all things that we must care about, but all of these things must be put around this great gravity and reality that Jesus Christ is himself ruling and reigning over the world and is doing something in these things to conform our hearts to love him and know him and enjoy only him. I want to end with this. There is a, a line that I read uh, from Thomas Boston. He has this to say. We have all things in Christ and Christ is all things to a Christian. If we be sick, he is the physician. If we be thirsty, he is the fountain. If our sins trouble us, he is righteousness. If we stand in need of help, he is mighty to save. If we fear death, he is life. If we are, if we are in darkness or we be in darkness, 
he is light. If we be weak, he is strength. If we be in poverty, he is plenty. If we desire heaven, he is the way. I know there's a lot of things we could say about many of the issues that we talked about today. There's a lot of things that we didn't say about Colossians 1, 15 through 23. At the end of the day, the aim and purpose and function of these verses is that we cling to Jesus for stability in a turbulent world. As you experience the days ahead, whether it's sadness over loss, whether it's anxiety over health, whether it's frustration over politics, whatever it is, Jesus Christ is the one to whom we cling, not our health, not our friends, not our politics or opinions. Jesus Christ himself. And I hope that as we work through these passages, as we see Jesus shining through these, that we would see that he is worthy and able to hold us more than we can just simply cling to him. But I hope that as we end, you see that he is the only stability for our lives and so that we would cling to Jesus to find stability in our turbulent world. So let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.